This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa, Harvard College of Medicine, downloaded in 169 countries around this planet, mostly by Russian bots. (laughs) I feel confident. 169 countries. I'm going to I'm going to choose to feel good about that. I'm sure some many of them are just one. But you know, I got to take my validation where I can get it. You know what I'm saying? I'm here today with Aline Sanduk. Hi. Jaden Bowen. Hello, countries of the world. Aditi Patel. Hey. And newbie Madeline Slater. Hey. Madeline. Hey. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the show, Madeline. Um it's great to have you here. Were you a listener before, or is this just something that... I've actually been listening to this for six months. Oh. So it's a little weird hearing people's voices that I've heard for a while. Kind of like, creepy. Is it like NPR? You know, you listen to NPR. I listen to NPR all I the time. I listen to NPR all the time. And you see there, you know, if you, if you have occasion to look up somebody's photo, it's very jarring, I, I find. Very jarring to see the actual picture of the people who... Who are on the radio yeah i feel like often people sound younger than they look <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. yes <Subtle>. absolutely <laughs> they hey. never look the way you expect them not to. at all yeah not at all anyway um thank you for coming i want to remind our listeners before we begin we love reviews if you're listening on apple Podcasts, you can do it from within the app just like chelsea wolb and macrophagocytosis did oh. recently thanks for those uh, nuggets of external validation, guys. I appreciate that. I, no, none of this nonsense. Let's just jump right in. Jay has a question about her grades as an undergrad uh, and uh, her imp- hopeful one day entry into medical school. It's a common one, but let's hear from Jay. I began working in higher education last year. Since then, I realized my desire to become a physician. During my freshman year of undergrad, I had a very personal and traumatic experience happen to me affecting my health mentally and, above all, my grades. I became depressed and had no desire to go to class or be involved socially. I ended my undergrad barely getting by with just below a 3.0. I do know the importance of undergraduate grades, but I am wondering how forgiving you think a med school admissions committee would be if I was to show them I have what it takes by doing a post-bac program and acing it. Uh, good question. First of all, I want to say something that I'm reading between the lines of your question. Um, you know, for instance, when you said above all your grades, your mental health is more important than your grades. I just want to put that out there. You probably understand that. I mean, I know, but the way you talk about it makes me, uh, fear that uh, maybe there just needs to be a slight reprioritization um, there. Uh, not not from the person, but maybe from society. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, it's it's not like, I mean, that doesn't, that sort of 
priority doesn't come from nowhere. I mean, you know, like, you know, the system that we exist in prioritizes numbers and grades and quote objective measures, uh, unfortunately more than, uh, oftentimes more than, you know, mental health and other squishy subjects that are hard to measure and think about and, mm -hmm. and appreciate. I say, keep track of your mental health and first and your grade second, but that's, I have never put my grades first in anything <laughs> ever. So I may not be the best person to talk to. Um, I have, uh, so you're, you're uh, planning to do a post-bac. Any, any of you guys do a post-bac program at all? I did not. Research. It didn't have an academic component. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, same. I mean, I, I think a post-bac can be used not only to get your prerequisites in place to apply for school, but they can also be used to shore up any weaknesses that you had during your undergraduate years. And I think if you listen to the last show, we talked a little bit about this topic. Um, several, if not almost all of the people who were on the show um, had difficulties in undergrad that they managed to take care of. A lot of my classmates did a post-bac and really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I didn't, but... You I've didn't enjoy it? No, I, <laughs> I didn't do one, but I've heard good things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it can, you know, if you can, in effect, bring that, bring up your uh, GPA, your overall GPA through some post-bac work. Find the right school also. Um, you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be totally fine. Lots of people have been in your position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like some programs are better suited for preparing someone to go back to med school. Um, so if Jay is targeting any particular schools or has their heart set on any particular institution, it might be worth reaching out to that school and finding out like what are their priorities? Are grades more important? Is experience more important? MCAT performance? Because different programs prioritize different things. Yes. I did that for med school too. Even though I came straight out of undergrad, I contacted the schools I was interested in and kind of went over my application with them and asked them what they thought I should strengthen in the last year that I had. Um, it was good to see what their priorities were because if their priorities didn't align with mine, I didn't see the point of going there, um, which is ultimately why I chose Iowa, obviously. Um, but I know a lot of people and a lot of schools particularly like students who have seen hardship and overcome that and then have gone back and applied later. It shows your commitment to choosing medicine. It's the trajectory that's important. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'd also like to piggyback on what Aditi is saying and add that everyone will at some point experience a breakdown in med school. And I, <laughs> I would even say that she could, well, he or she, pardon me, I just assumed that uh, Jay... I did use a female voice, so... Um, fair enough. Well, Jay could use this, like there, there's a way maybe to spin this in a positive way and say like, I have been in this place and I've built skills that helped me through it that I'm sure will be put to use again, either to support myself or to support other people who are having a hard time in med school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, doing the post back if you have the means and if that's something that you're interested in would be good because, um, it shows that you actually learned something from that experience um, and so that you can perform at a high level, which, you know, you probably can anyway, but it just might help with that confidence factor. Well, and that's what 
a school is going to be looking for. They want mm-hmm. you to be able to perform at a high level because let's face it, this takes a high level of performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd uh, suggest being really comfortable talking about whatever it was that gave you problems in undergrad. Um, and if it's something very personal, very traumatic, uh, practice begging off that question and talking more broadly and what you learned during your uh, post-bac or master's experience that, you know, make sure that you're not going to struggle in medical school like you did in undergrad. Because I think uh, that that's very likely to be a question if you kill your post-bac and they're comparing uh, the different portions of your academic career. Uh, they're likely to ask about that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to want to screen out students who will struggle in medical school, too. And that's a huge component as well, because, you know, going through it and being almost done, I can tell you I have had many, many breakdowns where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is getting really hard. Um, And then your coping mechanisms that you've built over the years will really, really help at that point. So Mm -hmm. ideally, you have your breakdowns in private yeah. because there's a, a long list of people at the school that I just can't look in the eye because they've seen me <laughs> at my work. Like literally people that I see and go, huh, and then run away from. <laughs> and and they probably don't know why I do that, but it's because like it's just so mortifying, you know, to be like crying and sobbing in some cases, you know, after a bad test or a bad patient experience. So, yeah. I already cried in front of someone else, so I'm starting off strong. Welcome to medical school. (laughs) You're initiated. What they don't tell you is that it's not a matter of delaying your breakdowns. It's a matter of getting there quickly and bouncing back. Mm -hmm. So you're ahead of the curve. (laughs) I just need a stress cry to motivate me to keep going. That is such a good point. It's how I feel about anger. You know, like I I don't like to get angry. I don't. I'm, I'm. I'm a relatively non-confrontational person. I tend to put it off until I explode. Mm. And so what I've been trying to do in my later years is uh, is just get it over with. And not in the sense that, you know, I'm just going to like just punch you in the face. <laughs> but just be like, you know what? That wasn't cool. Yeah. Don't fight it. Embrace it. Yeah. Let it run its course. Don't do that again. And then finish. Kind yeah. of thing. Because yeah. if I don't do it right away, it's just going to build up. And then so I, yeah. I, I agree with this policy yeah. of... <laughs> just getting it out there. I'd say med school breakdowns are like braces. I got braces in middle school, which really sucked. But then by the time I got to high school, all my friends were getting braces and I got mine off. So. <laughs> interesting analogy. Way I, ahead of the curve. I think, yeah, I think you're ahead of the curve getting it in in that first four weeks. Like that's, that's important. Yeah. Uh, so Jay, good luck. You're going to, you're going to be great. And, um, let us know how it goes. Uh, really hope you'll continue listening and hope you'll continue to uh, let us, you know, keep us informed about your trajectory. It's We're rooting be. for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Totally. Chelsea has a question about primary literature in med school. I really enjoy the podcast and appreciate the advice you all give. I have been wondering how much primary literature research articles are incorporated into medical school curriculum. I imagine it will also be different for both the PhD slash MD program versus just the MD program. I appreciate your help. Sincerely, Chelsea. Okay. Chelsea is so jumpy. Yeah. And she has weird long pauses between her phrases. Northeast, because she talks really fast. Uh, 
Primary literature in med school. What, so how does this show up in the curriculum? Are, are your, all your lecturers and course directors citing their sources or something? You know, does every <laughs> statement they make come with a footnote? I'm... Orientation week, we had a whole like hour and a half session on how to access resources from the library. So mm -hmm. Which, I think they're trying to get us prepared. But... It's surprisingly helpful, too. Mm -hmm. About the time you have to make your first learning issue presentation. Yep. yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So that's one. That's one place it shows up is in yeah. small groups and and so I don't know. <laughs> learning issue was not a term that was familiar to me when I. I mean, it makes sense now. But why don't you go ahead and define learning issue? Yeah. So we during our case based learning portion of our curriculum, we have to select topics and then research them and present them to our peers. And so through the course of that, you usually should end up in some primary literature but uh it's up, often up to date up to date can get you can get you like 90 percent of the way up to date mm -hmm. is not primary literature no it's, basically it's summaries of topics yes. like the wikipedia the the, the my, my understanding is it's like the the more respectable wikipedia of med school basically yeah yeah it's it's better vetted too like yeah. it's actually written by mds right. and, DS, so. right. and laced yeah. with their opinions yes, <laughs> yes. actually that's true yes. so be wary of that yeah well i know in looking at comments expert opinions yes. yeah. <laughs> well i know in looking at comments in uh, medical student performance evaluations um you tend to get uh 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 what am I trying to say? You, you tend to get uh, complimented on your use of primary literature. So um, for those learning issues, especially, you know. Does that job. go in the dean's letter? It could, like yeah. Right there yeah. just yeah. really I, knows how to access that primary really, literature. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The thing about um, CBL that I noticed is that it's like really, really hard at the beginning because all the learning issues are like how to read an EKG or mm -hmm. like how to read an x-ray because like you're just starting to learn how to do that and then as the semester goes on the questions become more specific and like easier to tackle but yeah, yeah. the sort of how to do this thing you how know, to you... do this clinical skill that yeah. literal books are written about right <laughs> right my so. first one was abnormal versus normal lung sounds oh that's actually pretty useful yeah. Yeah, but it was kind of hard to find primary literature. On yeah, that. for sure. You have to go back to like 1910 mm -hmm. with the first stethoscope <laughs> to find primary literature. Or your emphysemic relative. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> it's a show and tell. Definitely. Prim right. <laughs> uh, I, I would argue that that most of what we interact with, I'd say 60 or 70 percent is like tertiary information from textbooks and lectures that's been filtered you know like all the way to the top of the pyramid um and then 20 or 30 percent is the secondary sources like up to date and then we don't spend a lot of time with primary literature i think that changes though once you hit clinicals because in clinicals they ask a lot of questions either on rounds or when you're in the or and they'll ask you to look it up and you'll come back with this random paper that was written on this very obscure topic um, and then tell them all about it because that's what they want to hear about. Yeah. And so having the PICO method down, which our school does a really great job of teaching us about. PICO. PICO. So it's like the problem, interest, interest yeah, comparison and outcome. So it's like the four questions or the four things you type into your search engine to find up. A question or answer the question with a primary research article. First time I've heard that 
uh, phrase. Yeah. Really exciting to hear. Oh, you'll it learn all about that battle. Yeah. 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 It's pretty nice, actually. Yeah. yeah. So it comes up there, um, and it's useful to know that. And then recently, actually, Step 2 CK has been utilizing primary literature and being able to answer questions based off of that. This during is the, the clinical test. knowledge oh. portion of Yikes. the step two exam. Yes. So I remember having two sections of my exam that had three questions on this research article. And they were like, oh, calculate this sort of statistic. Or what is the primary question being asked? Um, the questions are useful to look at articles and how to interpret articles and with the amount of information that we're given on a regular basis now, it's really important to have the skill to be able to access primary literature. Um, and so I think that's why they're pushing for that being tested, essentially. Well, yeah, and also because the, you know, we we talk about how the, the amount of knowledge that we have about medicine and health is increasing um, at, a, at an exponential rate. Your job after you leave your job of learning after you leave medical school is not over and so you're going to have to spend a lot of time with um primary sources um to continue that lifelong process of figuring out you know how to keep people from dying and <laughs> keep people healthy and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yep so chelsea there's your answer glad we could help We've talked on the show before about the sometimes puzzling medical shortages that occur. Things like uh, saline and bicarbonate, which you'd think would be simple and easy. Come by, just go down to the grocery store and, you know, <laughs> mix together some things and you got some <laughs> some saline. Just get some at the CVS. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, but these shortages do happen. They happen a lot. Some of them are very long term. Um, for instance, where I, I, there's a lidocaine shortage, um, bicarb. And saline, where have both been on the list of things that were uh, that were in short supply. Some of them because of the hurricane that uh, took out Puerto Rico, and where a lot of these things get manufactured. Anyway, they put a real strain on hospitals and doctors, and the shortages put patients at risk. Um, well, several major hospitals and charities are banding together to form a nonprofit generic drug company that aims to alleviate these rising costs and shortages. Intermountain Healthcare is 22 hospitals in Salt Lake City, and they're partnering with um, various uh, uh, companies and healthcare organizations and charities to launch Civica RX as an independent company. Um, others in the uh, this coalition include Mayo Clinic, um, as well as a bunch of for-profit healthcare a, a for-profit healthcare facilities operator. They're, they're going to market 14 common generics. They haven't announced which ones yet, um, but the ones they're looking at are uh, drugs that are in short supply. They're on the list of essential medications, which I don't know what those are. Maybe you guys know some of them at this point. I think uh, those are the like World Health Organization defined medications for like the most common ailments, okay. like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, okay. stuff like that. And and those that have seen large increases in costs. Um, I kind of like this idea. When I saw it, I was like, oh, this is a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Just make your own drug company. Easy. <laughs> what do you guys think of this idea? 
okay. <laughs> Don't want to talk to me? All right, fine. Fine. I'll just be over here. <laughs> well, I hopefully um, it'll increase the demand for uh, people with bachelor's degrees in the sciences, in oh. chemistry. <laughs> I hadn't thought of know, that. Yeah, chemistry degrees or math degrees, mm-hmm. things like that. I would I would feel pretty good about working for a nonprofit drug company. That would be an interesting environment in which to work. Maybe I wouldn't make as much money. Ooh, like there was some sort of explosion outside the studio. Um, yeah, maybe I wouldn't make as much money or whatever, but you know, I, I work in the public sector now and I'm fine. <laughs> you know? Um... Well, hospitals also tend to be really good employers, mm-hmm. right? I, mm-hmm. Like they have a commitment to health, not just in word, but in deed. And so, you know, they provide good health insurance and good like retirement plans to their employees. And so maybe expanding access to jobs like that is not just good for patients who will receive cheaper medication or not cheaper, but have more access to medications, but it also do like a, like a community good of like creating more jobs. Yeah. So, so one of the things that um, the less scrupulous drug companies do is, you know, so they've got this ability to manufacture this statin. Uh, well, nobody's, nobody's making it. Nobody's making the statin except for this company. Another company comes along and starts to make the statin. The unscrupulous drug company will lower the price to force that other, the, that competition out of the market. And then they will raise the price back up to the previous high levels. Um, and so one of the things that this coalition is trying to do is even out that, is flatten out that uh, that trend so that, um, and the, the hope is that hospitals will sign, be willing to sign longer term contracts that aren't necessarily the lowest price that they can get, but which are predictable. The hope is that this long term stability is more attractive than short term deals from uh, from bad actors. I think that might become problematic, though, in the future with Big Pharma and their lobbying abilities, unfortunately. Yeah, like you don't... Just yeah. squeeze them right out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. May pass laws that, you know, might Make seem to do one thing, but actually, you know, prevent this sort of uh, competition. We'll yeah. See, we'll see what happens. Nice like, idea, though. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everyone agrees, I think, in this room. That racism exists, uh, whether it's overt, such as when somebody uses the N-word, the unconscious or incorrect beliefs we all have about people of other races or ethnicities, or institutional biases that favor one group of people over another. This last category is under fire at ICANN School of Medicine at Met. Would somebody correct me on the pronunciation? Is it ICON, ICANN? I've always called it ICON, but I okay. ICON too, yeah. Let's go with ICON today. <laughs> The last category is under fire at Icon School of Medicine in Mount Sinai, uh, New York, which has suspended its Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society chapter for students, though it's still selecting residents and faculties for membership. So if you don't know what AOA is, basically the AOA is intended to honor those students who are in the top 25% of their med schools in terms of academic achievement, i.e. grades. But there's a group of students at ICON that has basically said, this is biased. It gives an unfair advantage to white medical students and disadvantages students underrepresented in medicine. Um, you know, these are, these are, this honor 
is kind of important to getting that plum residency and like optho or derm or whatever. It's not completely required, but it's it's among the things that people are looking for. It's among the top things that residency programs are looking for. And if you've got it, basically, you're going to make the cut pretty much that first cut anyway. Yeah, it's a nice feather to have in your Absolutely. cap for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. A group of minority students at ICON got together and said, this is not cool. The administration actually listened. They're suspending um, this program at ICON. Um, it, it, in the past five years, around 3% of students who got into AOA were from, racial, for, were from a racial background that's underrepresented in medicine versus 18 to 20% of those URMs in gra their graduating classes at ICON. So my understanding from the article is that there's just a lot of like intangible criteria that you have no hope of really like meeting because they're so loosely worded and there's a lot of room for interpretation. Is that right? I was under the opposite impression, basically that it's, it's taking one, the main criteria is your grades. But then you have to pick from those top. Like yeah. the schools still like nominate, right? Yeah, I think it's like the 25% get an offer and then you apply. Yes, yes, that's true, right. And then they select, I think, however many your school has allotted for AOA. Hmm. And then you get this fabulous honor, but people still have to apply <laughs> to get AOA after you've been offered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems kind of mm, I don't know weird <laughs> yeah we have these very well documented trends of people from underrepresented backgrounds in medicine doing poor on things like the MCAT and things like med school tests and standardized like tests one. of all kinds yeah yeah and uh, to me a lot of it really comes down to that all of these tests overwhelmingly are written by people that look and sound and think like I do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more people in medicine than fit the Jaden Bowen mold. And there should be a lot and more in medicine. Should be. Yeah. But those are the people who, you know, throughout the history of medicine and science have been in power and have written these tests and it doesn't have to be, um, I think, what a lot of people might consider like malicious. They're probably not writing test questions with the idea that oh, we're gonna get, we're gonna get this minority on this question. Now it's just more that they think about things and have a set of experiences um, in a certain way, and not everybody thinks that way. And so then you you take something that's already important, like your medical school grades, and put this huge honor that depends largely on that. You're just further exacerbating these differences. Um, so, yeah, that 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 was my impression from the article. But I'm also in favor of banning all grades and most standardized you testing. You are so. radical. I love it. <gasps> That's revolutionary. Yeah. I would support that 100%. <laughs> the argument usually goes, though, okay, so if we are a pass-fail medical school, there are pass-fail medical schools. There's mm -hmm. plenty. I know a school where they don't even keep track of their students' grades. The, the argument is that if we're a pass-fail medical school, how do we, how do our students distinguish themselves from 
other students. How, how do we do that now? You know, because like grades or grades only matter within the context of our school, though. Right. Yeah. Well, and like and you for can't... things like AOA and, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, they're an external signifier that, you know, I mean, I, I mean, the, the I guess the problem is, is, you know, you can say, well, you know, everybody gets an A and then we look good compared to an A. Yeah. <laughs> everybody gets an A plus, uh, you know, so there's the, there's the sort of bias that a school can create by just grading everybody really well. Yeah. But there are schools that do that. There are oh, yeah. schools that give like 80% honors to all of their class. I, I would agree. I think it matters on what school you're at. So grades only matter internally. I, I don't think they mm -hmm. would really say much outside of school unless they're given, which in our dean's letter, they're given They're the on stats, the dean's letter. But. Yeah. I don't want to get too philosophical about <laughs> it, but we... You know, we choose our future doctors based on these criteria that, in my opinion, have very little to do with being a doctor. You know, my yeah. MCAT test score, that means nothing when I'm in the clinic. Um, it means I can, you know, if it's a high score, mean might mean I can uh, binge and purge a lot of information, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think you want your doctor to be able to hold a lot of information in their head but that's still not you know i wouldn't even put that in the top 10 qualities of of the doctor i want and so i to me it, it comes down to that is that um as long as we kind of decide who gets to do what based on these arbitrary things that are designed by white guys like me it's always going to be arbitrary people that get the honors and stuff but mm -hmm. you are super white again I'm, i know i know <laughs> it, is, that here. it is very hard to get wider than <laughs> than the you just it's like everything a, about like me a frankly. living slice of wonder bread yep. <laughs> <laughs> i think the article brings up a good point though i think they mentioned in there about how in order to kind of get rid of that disparity between underrepresented and well-represented um, ethnicities in AOA, you need to have underrepresentative members or underrepresented members within AOA that serve as role models. Yes, because those people can can are often uh, much more able to move on to leadership positions in medicine later. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know we've talked many times on the show about the value of mentorship and how important it is to have mentors that are like me, so that I know I can achieve this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know. White dudes have plenty of that, <laughs> you know? I think we went three or four weeks with every lecturer being a version of me plus 20 to 30 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the, uh, ICON isn't the only school. UCSF changed its criteria for selection in 2016, um, coming out and saying that the st systems used to evaluate students and thus AOA eligibility don't account for the extra work minority students do to deal with the stresses of low levels of racism from patients and in clinics. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it does happen. Yeah, but, but the thing I don't know is what they changed their criteria to. Um, and I wish I knew more about that. Um, because I confess that it's kind of hard to imagine. Like if you if AOA is designed to 
you know, honor those people who have achieved really well academically, the definition of academic achievement is good grades. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh -huh. what is it that they, that they did to do that? Now, AOA says, AOA officially says, well, you can do whatever you want to select your, you know, to select your students for AOA. So mm -hmm. maybe they were just like, well, let's make it more like the gold humanism honor society where grades don't factor in um, very much. So I, don't I, know. I would argue that the definition of academic success doesn't have to be grades. It can, um, you know, you look at academics through a broader lens that includes research, you know, um, that includes, in my opinion, um, service to your institution yeah. mm -hmm. and service to others. You know, I think there's just leadership so, in exactly. different ac activities. Exactly. Yeah. I just think there's so many other ways to um, try and figure out who you want, you know, because this ultimately comes down to decisions that um, program directors and their committees for residencies make, mm -hmm. right? Is um, so I, I, anyway, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to, to figure out if you want to work with someone or train someone and doing, you know, making those decisions based on something arbitrary like test scores is yeah. to me do, useless. I feel like we've kind of gotten to this point in the conversation where we're saying that like AOA means everything to every residency, which like I understand the point that we're making, but I feel like we kind of veered to this path of like, I don't, I don't believe that all residencies are only looking at AOA. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. But look, if you're, if you're, uh, I'm going to pick an extreme case. If you're a pediatrics, if you want to be a pediatrics resident and you're AOA, mm -hmm. I feel like that's an automatic. Yeah. Okay. In. Yeah. I you're, see what you you're are automatically competitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just about wherever you want to go. I mean, and I'm talking lot. about a low a, a, a residency that has a, a low competition component versus, you know, a student with a high achievement. They're, that's yeah, a no brainer. They're going to, they're going to take you. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's kind of a gatekeeping thing. Whereas if you have a, you know, if you have a Jaden Bowen that has the identical like scores, um, and you know, like say step one score and like activities and stuff. Um, and then you have an underrepresented student and the only difference is I have AOA and they don't, it's, it's just yeah, like, a, it's okay. a gatekeeping mm -hmm. thing. It's not mm -hmm. that you have to have AOA to go into orthopedic surgery or anything like that. It's just, it's one more thing that contributes mm -hmm. to that there being sense. extra gates. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Our I know exactly <laughs> where this is going. Our favorite doctor. Our favorite, favorite. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's goop has settled a lawsuit in several states. The dispute is centered around some of the company's more questionable health products, which the lawsuit claims has no basis in science. How dare you? <laughs> but she's a celebrity, so obviously she knows more than any other doctor could possibly know, or any person. Yeah. Yeah. She's automatically super credible. Well. <laughs> that's what a lot of people Have you think. seen her hair? It's great. It's glossy. Hair. You're right. It yeah. is glossy. It's elven. It's I elven. Yes. I wonder how much she paid in products and treatments that she's not telling us about. <laughs> well, here are the things that might oh, be man. surrounding and inside of Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> that make her such a magical creature. 
Gwyneth sells pretty rocks that uh, she calls jade eggs, which you can put in your vagina to detox your your nether regions and improve your sex life. <laughs> cringing so hard. We're all uh, cringing so hard. She's probably got strewn about her body uh, healing energy stickers allegedly made of NASA spacesuit material, which according to NASA doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, so they're magical in and of themselves. A medicine bag, that's a quote, of polished stones that allow you to harness your inner strength to heal your mental health issues, no doubt in Gwyneth Paltrow's personal toolkit and various homeopathic re remedies like gelsemium sempervirens which supposedly treats stage fright apprehension and fever uh, <laughs> Gwen's undoubtedly using that I mean when you see her on stage she never looks she like never she has looks a fever or has <laughs> Maybe it's her millions and millions of dollars that give her so much. I feel self like this is just going in so many different directions. There's a lot you to unpack here. Yeah. Um, she's also no doubt consuming uh, ni her $90 a month supply of dietary supplements like Balls in the Air, which uh, sh gives her. Gives Wait, her what? Can you, know, can let's you try to imagine that, what that is? Uh, Gwyneth's balls are in the air. Uh, <laughs> They give her an extra boost of energy throughout her day by boosting her body's levels of glutathione. Hey, I don't know. That was on my test today. What is glutathione? Yeah. Since it was on your test, what is glutathione? I really don't want to be put on the spot. <laughs> it's an antioxidant, right? It's actually a good uh -huh. thing. Okay. But that's probably I'm, not the best way to deliver it. I'm to pretty your sure body. you can't just like. Helps repair oxidative damage. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Pretty sure you can't just arbitrarily increase it. Yeah. Right? Like. It's like an IV infusion if you've eaten too much Tylenol. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Man, the jade egg thing is what really got me. Because it's... It's supposed to help your... It's also supposed to help your pelvic floor muscles if you, yeah. keep, if you can keep that jade egg in there. There are other ways to do that. <laughs> that don't involve porous rocks. Yeah, yeah. Actually... Uh, on one of my rotations, so this is kind of a weird aside, but I someone did come in with that problem, and there was a physical therapist as part of the the gynog service yeah. who gave the patient a test tube, like a glass test tube, and then gave her instructions for how to, you know, strengthen her pelvic floor muscles because that's a legitimate problem. And so, like, is like she we supposed have to retain, solutions. Is she supposed to retain the test tube inside her at all times? No, it's a stretch. Okay. She was given stretch exercises. Oh, uh -huh. the other, sort of the other direction, basically. Pel yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I don't know how, I don't know how vaginas work. So. <laughs> but you have a pelvis. You I have, have the pelvis. same muscles. I do have a pelvis, <laughs> but I don't have to exercise them to keep, to keep it. I, well, maybe I do. I don't know. Take a look at my pelvis sometime. And you'll, <laughs> it's you'll okay. Like, Gwyneth doesn't know how they work either. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point. That's the point. Uh, Did you guys see the... Uh, I don't know. Are you finished with your list? No, keep Oh, because you missed my favorite... Oh, what was that? Goop recommendation, which was vagina steaming. Oh, yeah. With, like, tea. You know, yeah. squat over a little, like, clay pot and... She, I have she heard especially that, yeah. likes it after flights to get rid of all the nasty microbes. What is she doing with her? What is she doing with her hoo ha on a flight oh, where yeah, she's getting microbes like, into it? That's an excellent question. Vagina should have microbes in it. Yes, them. exactly. Thank you, Aditi. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> like, when you take antibiotics and you wipe the culture out, you want to put bacteria back in there. Yeah, but guys. Gwyneth, you, if you join the Mile High Club, 
Steaming is not going to help get rid of guys. You're missing the point. The there should STDs. be bacteria, but you want the bacteria that likes the green tea steam, <laughs> not just any normal plebeian bacteria. It's yeah. really a selection method, you know, for the culture of your vagina. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The more fancy your your vagital microbiota. Here's the thing: your vagina is working exactly say- the way it's supposed to. Did you say vagina? <laughs> Can you cut that out? Can I try that she again? She is from Virginia. <laughs> okay, can we... I, I feel okay. like that should not be cut. It's okay if you said vagina. How many times have I mispronounced things on this show, Aline? Give me a, a break. Lot. What a is lot. the capital okay. of Virginia? It's Ratchmond, actually. Ratchmond. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. So, anyway, it does what it's supposed to. It works just fine. You don't have to muck with it and introduce weird things into it like it it maintains itself yeah right he's pretty smart and that's why we went away from the idea of douching too because you don't want to change the internal environment of your vagina Mm -hmm. it's perfect the way it is yes let it be yes exactly yes exactly (laughs) yes it is can i make a quick plug for your vagina? Nope. <laughs> is this some sort of pun? <laughs> well, if you're interested in hearing more about, you know, good things to do for your female health and reasons you should not listen to Gwyneth Paltrow. Paltrow. Well, no. <laughs> one of my favorite Twitter follows is Gen- Dr. Jennifer Gunter. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh. She's yeah. awesome. At D-R-J-E-N-G-U-N-T-R. Yep. She's awesome. She fact checks the crap out of everything. She's probably uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's arch enemy. I would assume so. Yes. Hmm. I take my comment. I wasn't mansplaining. (laughs) I was just trying to offer an option where they can find. You just took a great woman. (laughs) Now I'm going to mansplain why I'm not mansplaining. You know what I love about Madeline? She just comes on the show and she starts. I know. Throwing fire. That was a solid burn. Kicking ass. Taking names. That's what we like. She knows how to go straight for the heart, too. Right. Well, let's try. I've got a few uh, few other examples of weird treatments here. Um, let's start with Cambo frog venom treatment. I'm going to read you a description. <laughs> what even? I'm what gonna, even is that? Tell us, Dave. I'm going to read you a description. Uh, you fill in the blank. Cambo frog venom treatment is an Amazonian medicine drug extracted from bright green frogs. It involves having small circles of skin burnt and slathered with Cambo toxin and then blanking into a bucket while listening to a shaman chant, which alleviates alcoholism, clinical depression, and pain. Is it speaking in tongues into a bucket, defecating into a bucket, vomiting into a bucket, or armpit farting into a bucket? I didn't realize we were playing a game. Yeah, no, neither okay. did I. You yeah. said blanky, and I thought, man, that must be gross if I, you're excluding it. Blanking? I thought you were censoring yourself there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. When have I? <laughs> I really want it to be armpit farting because I can't armpit fart, and so if you can, that's pretty awesome. You don't, you don't get to participate in directional too, like into a bucket. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna go with vomiting. You could like a complicated arrangement of tubes, and you know, I can't. I've never been able to armpit fart either. Follow up. My ar- my armpits are too wonderful dry. to too dry. <laughs> armpits are too dry. How important is the bucket? Is the bucket important or is it just the act? I think if what I you're think doing the act is more important. Okay. It's I'm always with the vomit. Act. Vomit? Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think I second Madeline on that. I think it's vomit. Armpit farting. 
Okay. I'm going to take defecating. Again. Oh, okay. Oh. No, the answer is is vomit. Oh, dang it. <laughs> yeah, <dark. laughs> it's not armpit farting. Too predictable. A duty. Yeah, we, yeah, we could have seen that. Projectile vomiting, in fact. As, you, oh. as one might when you <laughs> slather frog venom on your burns. Those poor frogs. For the cause. <laughs> what part of toxin would make a person run away from that treatment immediately well, like, i don't know are we aren't we always trying to detoxify and yet you know we're going to put this toxin on us you're four for five with the letters that make up the word toxic <laughs> you're so close to toxic why would you do that the uh the drip room because gwyneth paltrow said so yeah, yeah. that's right these were uh, some of these by the way were all promoted and discussed at a conference put on by goop uh, not too long ago. The drip room. Is that where our president stayed in Moscow? That one visit. That sounds familiar. I don't know. Uh, go, go ahead. Continue. continue. The drip room actually is in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's an oh. IV drip bar that claims we've oh. taken a traditional medical treatment and given it a modern twist, which we call drip craft. <laughs> Trademark. Uh, come and check out our vitamin bar for the cocktails that are good for you. We've got drips, shots, boosters, wellness packages, and more. Chat with friends in the lounge or relax in one of our fabulous massage chairs. Packages include the energy drip, the anti-aging drip, the cleanse drip, and this one, which they claim is the poor man's hyperbaric chamber, a natural alternative to antibiotics, and great for an astounding number of conditions. Literally too many benefits to list. Is it hydrogen peroxide? alkalines, amino acids and electrolytes, or fecal extracts from male bovines. What was the third one? Amino, uh, amino acids and electrolytes. That's Probably that's that one. Brano, right? What is? From Idiocracy. What is? Amino acids. Right. It's what now plants with, crave. Yeah, with electrolytes. <laughs> with electrolytes. Yeah. Which one of these is the poor man's hyperbaric chamber? Poor man's It's got to be the amino acids. I want to say it's the alkaline. I think it's the alkaline. Yeah, we, you got it, it combats alkaline the alkaline foods that we I don't understand. No, it's the acid, the acid. The acid foods. Yeah, because yes. cancer grows in the acid. Yes. Mm -hmm. So if you alkalinize your body. Actually, how much you want to bet it has to do with the oxygen dissociation curve and pH. There's no and chance they know what that is, right? They don't have to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's someone matter. else's job. It sounds fancy. Mm -hmm. That should do it. Yes, exactly. Let's go do it right now. Right now. What? What is it that you're doing? Whatever it is that you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> going to Scottsdale. There you go. Also, uh, is Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale behind this? Cause... What? Mm. Yeah, we're not talking about the Mayo Clinic of Rochester. We're talking about the Mayo Clinic of like Petaluma, California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other Mayo Clinic. The not the one that's important Mayo <laughs> Clinic. I'm going to go with continuing my theme, the one with the uh, the fecal extract. You're really obsessed that, with poop, man. Well, I feel like one of these times, <laughs> yeah. Tony's not here, so I've got to take up the that's, banner. That's a good point. Uh, no, this is a hydrogen peroxide. Oh, that's what I was gonna get. That sounds uh, awful. I'm not sure you should put. <laughs> that sounds deadly. Actually, yeah, hydrogen you peroxide. Not put that in your body. Unless it's homeopathic hydrogen peroxide. Oh yeah. Cause... Oh, you mean water? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like one part per billion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In that case, sure, sure. Fecal extracts from male bovines is bullshit. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. So. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> Little boy. It took me a second too. It took me a second too. All right, brain dust. 
is, uh, quote, an adaptogenic blend of enlightening blank that help combat the effects of stress to align you with the cosmic flow for great achievement. Is it antioxidants and immune boosters, super herbs and super mushrooms, radish oil and rose petal jam, or wishful thinking and magical ideation? I'm going with that one. Because <laughs> that Mushroom. also sounds like bullshit. Herbs. I was thinking the rose petals. I was thinking rose petals as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's super herbs and super mushrooms. Super. Uh, <laughs> so super herbs. Shrooms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually. So drugs. <laughs> Why can't we? <laughs> Hallucinogens. Why can't we make that, a lot of money doing that this? Really dank herb. Yeah. 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 Like. yeah. I found this. What is adaptogenic? It? I keep I, in a lot of the other things that I read that I didn't talk about, and I kept reading adaptogenic. Um. Which I had not, it's not a word I'm familiar with. You guys, have you ever heard this word in science? Nope. I'm Googling it right now. I mean, it's, it's, I can tell I you what like it is it now. It sounds like an, uh, oxymoron. Like, it sounds like it's two separate things. Well, genic is genesis, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the genesis of adaptation, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, um, it has to do with maintaining homeostasis. Mm. Again, so. your body is pretty good at doing that by itself. It doesn't need your help. But your Gwyneth Paltrow says oh, Gwyneth. you need help. Look at her. You can tell that she is the most homeostatic. <laughs> Equilibrium. Yes. Just peak. She just needs a tattoo that says that. Equilibrium. <laughs> yeah. She probably has one. Yeah. In okay. her hoo ha. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> On the inner walls of her body. <laughs> so adaptogenic herbs, also referred to as adaptogens, are defined as agents that support the body's ability to accommodate varying physical and emotional stresses. <laughs> Again, your body does that anyway. You don't have to help it along. But placebo, though. My the placebo. My emotional yeah. stresses, though, could use a little adaptogenosity. It could also use a pet. Yeah, Aditi's trying to get me to uh, come visit her dog this weekend. Oh. She's got a you got a Yorkie, right? No, Yorkie. Wait, even what? better. Yeah, he's a Maltese Yorkie. His name's Teddy. He's got a lot of personality. Oh. He looks like a teddy bear. Everybody's trying to make oh me get a pet. But they're so good for your emotional well-being. It's it, that's what I have heard. Yes, yeah. but you also have to scoop their poop and and uh, vacuum their their hairs and. My dog doesn't shed. <laughs> I'm sorry to have insulted you. <laughs> My dog does not shed. How dare you, sir? How dare you? As an aside... He people, is cute. He is super he cute. He is amazingly cute. He is super cute. I wish you guys could see him. Sorry. <laughs> Can I, would, you, would you like to describe him? Just How long will he be here? Could you bring him in for a future show? Probably. Would that be a good idea? No. No? He'd be barking the entire time. He's a barker? Little dog, big personality. It's <laughs> another thing I'm not sure I'm... See, I, I didn't grow up with pets. I don't understand pets. Uh, I mean, I understand them on an, on an intellectual level. Like, people need animals. They're, you know... The, the, we've had pets throughout our existence. I don't understand them emotionally. Maybe... And, and it's the kind of thing, like... I don't want to try them, because if I don't like them, then what do I do? No return policy. Yeah. It is kind of a job you can't quit. That's yeah. Cool. 24-7. But as an aside, people put snail mucus on their face now for moisturizing properties. 
Hmm. Oh, I've heard. I've actually seen that in a lot of Korean beauty yeah. products. Yeah, that's true. The Korean beauty products are like the up and coming trends for the United States. For those of you who are into the makeup and beauty world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recently they've had this fad where you like basically buy a hundred percent snail mucus extract and you put it on your face and it's got this amazing anti-aging moisturizing property you can get it for super cheap at sephora but um have not tried it have you you have you haven't seen it you don't you don't know what it looks like well it's like this clear mucusy stuff it literally yeah i don't like know s- snot <sighs> for your face yeah i don't know I, that's not interesting delicious. to me at all it sounds a as a as a an individual of sebaceousness as i like to think of myself <laughs> i have yeah. inbuilt moisturizer at all times self luber i'm yes <laughs> i'm a self luber you're welcome I don't, for that yeah, no. i don't like that at all that's, oh, that's images nobody wants um what uh but yeah i I'm, I'm not very interested in in putting extra moisture into my into my body. I mean, I see some people who are, you know, if you got well, an oil, if you if you have a problem T zone, fine. You're talking about oil versus what I'm guessing is like a water-based <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. So. But isn't the whole purpose of moisturizing to bring back some sort of moisture into your body and Yes. I, mm-hmm. as an oily person, I naturally retain moisture or something. I don't know. But oil and hydration status are different for skin. And women will pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So, I mean, we were talking about these jade gems that we stick up your vagina to, like, make them feel beautiful. Imagine how much women are spending on, like, fake cosmetic products that claim Mm. these specific powers and... Yeah. Bad science. Totally bad science. So, I was totally one of those people at Christmas. I decided my Christmas present to myself this year was to just go crazy with all these products I'd been like saving on Amazon for a while. And like some of them were great, but there were a lot of Korean beauty products where I was like, mm, this sounds like BS, <laughs> but I really want to find out the hard way. So I'll try it. So do you, yeah. do you still have these? Yeah, products? I tried a whole bunch. Yeah, you make I, like a like, YouTube channel, a lean debunking yeah. beauty product. You could be the, Maybe I should. Can I help? Yeah, yeah for I sure. I just bought squalene oil, which I thought was total BS. <laughs> And I feel like my skin's been so glowy after I started using it. So I'm like totally buying into this. I'm like, you're going to be a physician and you're a scientist. Like you should know better. But no, I bought into it. What is, what's, what is that? Squalene. It's like some sort of aromatic organic chemistry. I don't know. It It just sounded fancy. It sounds familiar to me. I I mean, I feel like I've heard the term. Yeah. It's like an organic chemistry type Mm. molecule. Isn't it a cholesterol? Our, Our test today featured antifungals that inhibit squalene epoxidase yeah Yeah. so it's supposed to help with like free radical damage and women are usual suspects yeah that's what they always like preach you know prevent free radical damage buy antioxidants and creams with spf and are we really under assault constant assault by free radicals well the uv rays from the sun yeah create free radical damage and also just your metabolism exactly. True. Yeah. which by the way i burnt the shit out of myself uh over uh <laughs> over um what? my vacation by forgetting to put on sunscreen at a water park mm. um, i put on so here my method the reason i i screwed up is i put on sunscreen on my arms put on sunscreen on my head and neck put on sunscreen on my legs took off my shirt completely forgot to put on sunscreen uh, <laughs> yeah good call and then um 
yeah, just fried myself to carbon little carbonized bits. Oh. And then I had this like this like thing appear here that I <laughs> I, I mean, I don't like on my I'm pointing to my shoulder blade, not, you know, some other part. Um, so I had to go to the doctor to get that checked, even though I knew that it wasn't <laughs> fast enough to get cancer. <laughs> but I was like, holy crap, what is that? Quick onset skin I do cancer. Think it, just... I do think it could have been a response to the sunburn. It was sort of like, you know, it was painful and... It wasn't and... cancer. Your skin was just screaming. Yes, it was like it was <laughs> the skin equivalent of screams of horror. So anyway, maybe I should have put some squalene on me. Yeah. yeah. Or some snail mucus. Mm. Well, we'll be putting a link to many of the topics we've discussed in this episode show notes at theshortcut.com. But for now, that is our show. Aline, Jaden, Aditi, Madeline, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. If you like what you if you like what you heard today, we hope we've earned your subscription. Not only do we give out free advice, it might even be good advice. So send your questions or whatever you like to theshortcoats at gmail.com, or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. Also, we've now collected more than 40 recipes for our recipes for med school success, or whatever uh, you like, we will eventually call it, like Shams Fancy on a Budget Fancy Ramen. Joms, what is wrong with me today? John's fast and simple morning macros and Deborah's low-cost black bean burgers. You can contribute your favorite delight by visiting theshortcut.com and clicking on the orange send in a recipe button. We'll give you something for it. A free copy of whatever it is we come up with, maybe. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Box, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. <laughs> <laughs>